the Say Something Podcast is brought to you by a moment with Morris.com and BlackBlueprints.com. That's BlackBlueprints with a Z.com. I'm Jermaine Morris here with the one and only Mr. Barry Axius. Yes, sir. We are bringing you the Say Something Podcast. Say some, say some, say something. That's where we get together, talk about everything going on out here in the life and the traffic out here in these streets. In these streets. In these streets. <laughs> baby. The remix. Bringing you episode number 64. Boop. Back on it, back at it, here we are. Little brief hiatus, a little uh, off season, but we back. Man, I mean, that was a long hiatus, man. A little off season, you know. And speaking of season, you know, we'll dedicate this show to a certain individual. I mean, well, please, because I know people probably wondering where the hell they've been. Have we fallen off? We are still back, and we are better than ever. That's right. This episode, I'd like to dedicate to a certain gentleman who I think. Uh, Never history will not remember him for for what he did, like not accurately. Uh, he was uh, originally he and in the course of his career, he was a former head coach of Grambling State. He was uh, an NFL quarterback drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, a team that had never tasted the postseason. He got there. Uh, he was at the time the only starting black quarterback in the National Football League. He took Tampa to the playoffs three out of four years. He was the least paid starting quarterback in the league. And there was even 12 backups who were making more money than him. And he went to the the team and said, you know, I need to get a little bit more paper. And he was talking about the difference of about $200,000. And the team said, you're not worth it. So they went ahead and and let him go. He went to... uh, upstart team that didn't that didn't last <laughs> for a season but after he left it would be 14 years before they sniffed the postseason again like mm-hmm. the very next season after he left they went uh like two and 14 and there was garbage like I said for for like 14 years to follow uh then found himself with a new organization where uh as soon as he came in he started making moves the the coach that was over at the new spot was the one that that drafted him originally to tampa History will remember him one way as the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl and to be a Super Bowl MVP to throw over 350 yards, four TDs in one quarter. He was, I mean, for what he did to an organization, right the night before the Super Bowl, he had a six-hour root canal, Mm. so he couldn't even sleep the night before the game. And he went and put the shellacking to John Elway's Denver Broncos in in the Super Bowl. And after he won the Super Bowl for the team, the very next season, battling a few injuries, he had to compete for a starting job against Mark Rippon and then ultimately ended up retiring the year after. And his career kind of gets faded to the back. And when people talk about black quarterbacks in the in the NFL, you hear names like Warren Moon. You hear Mike Vick, Randall Cunningham. Uh, now even like you know Russell and, and even Cap, but this dude gets overlooked. I just want to give him his due and his highlight. Shout out one time, to Mr. Doug Williams. Yes, 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 yes. Dougie Doug Williams. And yeah. what we've only had another black quarterback win was Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson. That's it. Russell Wilson. And football. Yeah. Wow. And he, so a, much a, a football. Real quick. Um. The quarterback in position where they felt that black people, black men were dumb. Yeah. 
and wasn't smart enough to play that position. Yeah, Keep and, that in and mind. the big focus and why I say he doesn't, everyone jumps to Randall. They, run, they, they say Warren Moon because he was so cerebral. He was a pocket passer. Warren wasn't going to beat you with his legs. Yeah. He's the only I- I- exception that usually they make when they talk about black quarterbacks. But usually they go Randall Cunningham, they go Mike Vick. Uh, but like I said, in that Super Bowl, Doug Williams threw 370 yards, four TDs, four TDs in one quarter. Like he did, this was all cerebral. This was passing. He, he could still move his legs a little bit. He just dissected. This is John Elway, yeah. Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. And I just think history does not remember him, you know, the way, well, should. The, way the, the way that we should. And I think that's something that we should highlight when we speak of ourselves and our people, the representation that we put out there, that we can't leave it up to somebody else. To hoist our people up. Can't let them control our narrative. Not at all. Not at all. That's why we are back. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Show 100. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. You know, it it just, um, it takes a lot to do a podcast like this when you are as busy as we are. Um, We had a full summer that we we did. Um, You know, shots out to all the people that was doing the Summer Nights of Impact. At MetaView, that was a a a definite treat, but it was a lot of work and it was a project that we all accomplished. And you know, shouts out to all the team that did that. But as well as just been so much going on. And the fortunate but unfortunate thing about it, like not only do we you know do this podcast and do other things, but you know a lot of us you know are really on the field doing the work, right? Yeah. So it's not like we're just broadcasting from the information booth from this the, the the ivory tower watching everything it's like we're really on ground zero so it's been a tremendous amount of um you know chaos that's happening in our community but then also a, a great amount of great sufficient things for our careers yeah you've been doing some acting we're gonna talk yeah. about that type <laughs> of stuff right yeah. um and of course we together led the wave to do the summer programs. I had two. I had the MOB program as well as um, the Summer Nights of Impact program that you came, of course, and helped out with the rest of the team. And then just a lot of traveling. You know, had to get the summer out. You know, yeah. went to Houston and went to Philly, went to New York, went to D.C., took my daughter and a, a few some of my soldiers out there. And that whole New York trip. Um, New York by itself is just a trip, right? Yeah, yeah. But we actually, you know, me and my daughter who came just came home from her internship in LA, shots out to her. Um, we went to Houston, then went to New York. Uh, some of my kids came and met us in New York. Then we went from New York, went to uh, uh, what is it, Philly first, then went to DC, and went through Jersey, and then got back to New York. And I'm gonna just tell you right now, expensive, crazy, and I hate parking and. The East Coast. Absolutely hate parking in the East Coast. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Probably the worst thing that you ever want to do. Well, a friend of mine, I went to stay with him, and we talked about not having a car. And, A, having a car is more trouble than it's worth. Because this is probably maybe eight years ago. And he was saying, like, a parking space in his building was, like, 500 a month just for the parking space to have a place to park in the building. So he was like, it, you know, he takes the subway everywhere. And you know, smart. And yeah, every time we were there, he works in the financial district. So while we were there, he was like subway here. Yeah. I was like, take a cab. I'm one of those people like, let's just get there. Yeah, and and and, 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 and it's good. You cab it. You now you Uber it. But it's expensive it's when exp- you live there. Yeah, day to day runnings. But. but with us having to travel in so many different states, because you yeah. know we just wanted to got go and really uh, you know move and groove in the way we want to do. 
all of us, because you know there's four of us, we all love the shop. Okay. So here's a problem when you love the shop and we're just not going out there just um, you know being tourists per se. Yeah. We're looking for good deals. You know the kids are all excited because you know they've been there with me before. Now they want to go ahead and really with the money that they got and they saved up, they really want to make a splash. Yeah. You know we're literally grabbing stuff every day and now we have a car full of shoe boxes and bags of clothes yeah. <laughs> and all this other kind of thing so if we don't have a car you know we're not going to be able to first of all travel the way we want to travel to get to each state right because yeah. it's just like california the funny thing about it you drive five six hours you're going into another city you drive in the east coast three two, three hours you're going to two three different states yeah, right yeah. and um the one thing that we really learn is don't pack as much stuff to go out there, right? Yeah, and I should already know that. Yeah, I, suitcase, yeah, I should already know that by now. And then at the same particular time, that if you are willing to get a rental car, you're gonna have to pay to play. There's no way of going around not paying for um, parking in a hotel. Yeah. Parking on the streets is extremely difficult. Fifty bucks in a hotel. Pay attention to the <laughs> signs. The signs are extremely uh, 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 difficult to street you, sweepers. Oh my no god! If you don't understand, I literally <laughs> let, let me give a quick story right now. Literally parked in DC, and Sunday free parking. Right, okay. so everything was good. You could park at this area right across the street from the hotel. But Monday. I guess that's when you know uh, you you got to go find a parking, pay yeah. for parking, things of that nature. So I thought I was good. Um, kind of parked in this area, said you know you're good at this particular time. Go out there to move the car at the time that it says, "Hey, move the car at this time." My car was gone. Yeah. So imagine my heart racing, right? I was like streets empty, and I know the kids didn't wake up to go move the car because they're knocked out. Yeah. I go in there, I ask them a question, like, where is it at? I'm pissed off, I'm irritated because we're supposed to leave D.C. Um, to go back to New York. And next thing you know, they call the people, they call the uh, tow people, and they say, hey, they didn't tow your car, but they actually towed it to an area where you could park. I said, wait a minute. They towed my car to a parking area where I could park my car. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So in a sense of me, I'm like, yo, this is just... The best thing that ever happened, but it was odd to me because literally they said it's around the corner. I go around the corner. There's a car, the rental car. And of course, it was a hundred dollar ticket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I accumulated off of all of the parking miscues and I should know better. I accumulated at least five hundred dollars of parking tickets yeah. on my East Coast trip. It gets real out there. And, and we're not even <laughs> talking about all of the toll that they now uh, 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 charge you on your car if you get the rental car. They say, hey, you know, the rental car was gonna say, hey, you want to have the option of here's the um, the fast track. Yeah, just drive through the bridge. Exactly, and then you get charged because it's you gotta pay toll yeah. for almost every freaking state you go through in the East Coast. Yeah. So it's 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 just, it's just like man. Joys of California. It's the joys of California <laughs> in certain ways, but then it's like yeah. the the nightmare, but the beauty of the East Coast. But you gotta be able to really. Um, you know, for those people that haven't really traveled like that, I do traveling all the time. It's very expensive. If you make it expensive, and you very much be got to be very careful on how you operate and move, especially when you're in these rental cars, because it it, it can cost you a good buck. And as I looked at it, 
and 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 I sat there and all the stuff that we did. I needed a break, but then I sat there. And I was asking myself, I want to go home. <laughs> I think that's important where we start looking at how uh, different different places have kind of different rules, and how you know society is a little you know there's different nuances, uh, culture, attitude, behavior, demeanor, all that stuff. You hear about Southern hospitality. Man. You hear about uh, Californians like a little more laid back. You hear about this little more regression out of the East Coast. Like, you hear about different, you know, there's, there's just kind of different temperatures depending upon where you go. And when you travel, you get to meet these different kinds of people and, and see the different kind of energies that there are. And, but there are some uh, some constants depending upon where you go. Definitely some constants. And, I- you know, there's been some stuff in the news since we've been gone that has been making national headlines. And that I think is something that we want to touch on a little bit today. You know, from out here in Sacramento to Dallas to Florida, chaos. You know, there's been the the there's been a a heavy climate when it pertains to law enforcement and the dealings with civilians uh, out here in this nation. It seems like we continue to have the same conversation. We do, and I think part of where. it's just been getting so dicey lately is where we start drawing this line at like what for real for real where we draw this line at because we'll, we'll have issues where we have out here in sacramento we have the issues surrounding stefan clark mm-hmm. where you had an, an unarmed individual who was shot and killed by law enforcement and you can start picking apart the details of the situation in regards to uh, allegedly, he was running from the police for for vandalism charge. Uh, why dogs weren't sit in, or why the helicopter didn't shine a light, or or a, a, a list of scenarios that could have happened that could have ultimately saved this young man's life. But then you have a situation where there, where we're coming out of Dallas, <laughs> where there's you know this is not a situation where uh, a suspect didn't comply, or you know a, a routine traffic stop gone left. Uh, a situation where a gentleman who was in his own home at, at at night was, I mean, for all intents and purposes, murdered by an off-duty officer who says that she walked into the wrong apartment and thought that he was a suspect and, and, and shot this man dead in his own home. And the the, the outcry is is justified. And in, in this, this this instance was a little bit different. The, the police department, though they didn't uh, treat her like the suspect that she is, yeah. you know, they definitely coddled and cradled her. They are the state is going for manslaughter charges. But you have a situation where a woman said that she she parked on the wrong floor of her apartment complex, walked up to what she believed to be allegedly her front door. That it had a completely different locking mechanism <laughs> than the door she tried to get into. Mm. Uh, but then said that the door was ajar when she got there. Yeah. Entered the apartment, didn't realize she was not in her own home. Saw the man made, uh, she says, a couple of a requests for him to stop. He didn't stop. She shot, killed his man in his home. And I just think that like... Maybe it's the pessimism in me. <laughs> like, how many stories do we have to have? Like I said, well, we're, we're not going to sit there and say that this is a California issue. Not this isn't a Florida stand your ground issue. This isn't an NYPD, LAPD, Chicago PD, Atlanta PD situation. There is a, a, 
a issue nationwide when it pertains to law enforcement dealing with civilians. Yes. This woman killed this man in his home and a search warrant was issued for his home and her home. Yes. And in searching upon his apartment, the crime scene, they found he had some, some weed in his house. Mm. And that made the news before any reports of if there was anything in her system. Yes. They said there was a search warrant issued for her home, which was never executed. At all. Uh, they were supposed she was supposed to be on the watch list. You know, state troopers were supposed to bring her in like the suspect she was. But then they realized that, well, because she was complying, that wasn't necessary. Mm. You know, the, this coddling and taking care of her because she though she's a woman, she's one of the boys seems to be something that is consistent throughout this nation. It's not a regional thing. And the the plight, the anger, the emotion from the people is not a regional thing either. So I'd like to see, you know, what, where do we go? We, we, we pose the picture. We, we have issues where we have a, a, a gentleman, the Stephon Clark thing. You can make the argument he was a criminal. You can make the argument he was a suspect. You can make the argument he was running from the police. If, if you, I'm not saying you're right or wrong. I'm saying you can make the argument. Yeah. This dude was in his house and his draws mine in his own business. That's what he's doing. And then there's more reports that these two were involved with each other, allegedly. Uh, there's pictures of services on the internet of them posing together. No, that was social gathering. That was that was that was before uh, them. That was both. That was another woman before they found the woman. So there's an actual no she real just, pictures. She just looks. They just look similar. I didn't. Because I, I saw I, a picture of the officer and a picture of the woman. I mean, they. they I ain't gonna say women in Dallas look the same. <laughs> nah, but I, I I saw her hair that was a darker, um, haired woman that he had a picture with. With the four of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that, that didn't. No, that wasn't. I know now. I know what you're talking. The picture that you're talking. The yeah, first, I, the picture that first came out. Yeah, that was yeah. saying that this is the four. Nah. Was a, a, some out. But that's not saying that they didn't have um, any relations. You know what yeah. I'm saying? That's not saying that at all. Because from what her story is, and from what some neighbors who heard, um, you know, her yelling, let yelling, her let her in, <laughs> right? And the simple fact that they searched his home. And there was police equipment in his home. So it, it's it's sketchy. But I really think what you're really going into is when are we going to take um, this 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 common sense that we all have or should believe most of us have to where this thing just doesn't look right from the gate. When are we going to stop creating a narrative for police to always protect them when they do wrong? And that is the biggest issues. Yeah. Why is it when they do something, when they screw up, when they're foul, when they've done something un unjust, it is everyone else is criminalized before those police officers. It has to be the fault of someone else for the simple fact that she came up with a story that's just so beyond that reality changed. that changed. Right. Her story changed multiple times. But saying that I thought it was my the, my apartment. Yeah. I, I I gave commands and I shot this person. Oh, this isn't my apartment. <laughs> it's just kind of like, my wait bad. a minute. Are you serious right now? Yeah, because something that so her, her argument was first that the door was open. So a tenant in the same complex showed an example of the doors of that complex. They're the heavy doors. So they close automatically. Yeah. So unless there was a shoe or something propped up in this doorway, that door couldn't have sat open. But the other part they showed is that uh, for law enforcement who are in that building, 
it's a different lock. There's a different kind of locking mechanism at the top above the door handle. So upon looking at this, you would see that this isn't the same door. But needless to say, you parked on a different floor. So if you live on the third floor and you parked on the fourth, so let's just go benefit of the doubt. You parked on the wrong floor. You didn't park in your space. You, you just you were that tired, that discombobulated. Right. You didn't know. You walked to a, a, an apartment. You weren't. Your eyes were blurry. Uh, you couldn't quite tell it wasn't yours. You're banging on the door. You get the door open. Whoever knows how. You don't recognize anything in the apartment being different. Like somebody had broken your house and put pictures of them and their family up. Like you don't recognize anything different. Either you need an extensive psychological evaluation or drug testing on the spot. Because if you could park on the wrong floor, get through the wrong door, not recognize anything in the apartment, but then still have the wherewithal to draw your gun and in your and in her story, make commands to stop and shoot. Where the F is your brain at? Mm. Like, like, let's just say you're not uh, an evil person. Some people are saying that they had a, it was a spiteful relationship or there was something along the, that because that would, would make logical sense to some people. Let's well, say that's not the case. Well, she's not even admitting it. There was a relationship. But I said, let's just say that's not the case. Let's just say everything is the way you said it. You either are uh, psychotic yeah. or were under the influence yeah. of something. Yeah. Or you have been worked so many hours to the point to where your brain is frazzled. You would have had no right to be in possession yeah. of a firearm with the ability to take somebody's life. And reasoning why. I have said it on numerous occasions, um, even before the Stephon Clark situation that happened here um, in Sacramento, 2018. In 2014, I've been calling out drug testing for the police, right? You know, let's get these guys checked out because we do understand the long hours that they work. But the reality of what we're dealing with in this bizarre cover-up, and this has got to be one of the more bizarre cover-ups yeah. that we've had in recent memories when it comes down to um, you know policing and them being in the wrong where these things to me don't add up essentially she is the key to breaking this case correct yeah because if you weren't dealing with him per se yeah then you need to come out and say we I don't even know this person. Like if, if, if just, yeah. just let's say that part. If, if this the true story as what you have stated and, and what you've put out there, though the stories have changed numerous times. Yeah. If you did not know this person and you honestly walked into an apartment allegedly that you thought was yours, why hasn't one time a, a statement been made that I've I don't know this person. I might have seen him in the apartments. Yeah. There's not been one statement made. So to me, clearly, it looks like what? Another cover up. And if they police want to understand the reason why we're on the streets, the reason why we there's pushback, the reason why there's no trust. This is a perfect example. Someone went to kill someone in cold blood and tried to make it out as if I made a mistake on what apartment I was in and I shot the person because I thought the person was breaking into my place. No. That to me is a bold face lie and the shit is out of control. Yeah. So I used to work at Home Depot some years back and I used to work overnights where you stock the shelves, forklift drive and all that. There was a policy that if you broke something over two hundred dollars. You, you clocked out, went to the little overnight med place, and it was mandatory drug testing. 
like it, it too, you break you know a pallet that had lamps on it chandelier you, you too many bricks too many bags of concrete whatever if it totaled over two hundred dollars it was mandatory right then and there you went you tested you couldn't come back to work until the next day till your test results came back you know like the, it wasn't even a debate it wasn't a discussion it was like hey go clock out go down there pee in this cup you know when, when you get the results you may or may not still have a job that was for Home Depot that was for lamps that was for piping. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're involved in a shooting that takes somebody's life, why is that so hard to 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 say that mandatory drug testing it should be implemented? I mean, like, I don't get why there should be such resistance or pushback for that. I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I think that's the reason why we're confused by the standard of what kind of law want to protect the the people that are serving or the people that are actually, you know, the civilians. Getting served. Yeah, right. (laughs) Literally getting served because my my, my idea of it all is just like a simple content that you break break down. Um, I crash a car, automatically they're going to check to see, hey, was I drinking? Was I smoking? Was I on some prescription pills, right? That's the first three questions. So, Police officers continuously, in the result of, I felt feared for my life, in the result of, oh, I thought they had a weapon, in the result of, well, um, this person looks suspicious, whatever kind of position they want to put yeah. the reasoning for them to use excessive force, they're not drug tested? <laughs> this shit is, they work stressful hours, and let's not talk about only the stressful hours. You think about the traumatic hours. Yeah. It's one thing to be working and pushing papers in a state building yeah. for about 12 hours. But you're looking at paper and you're not looking at anything traumatizing. It's another to be out on the streets for 10 to 12 hours within a day seeing traumatic uh, incident after traumatic incident and traumatic incident without one getting a sight check and two popping out and checking to see oh so what you've been taking because you and I both know in America a good percentage of people I mean I don't drink I don't smoke but I used to use some kind of relaxer whether it's drugs whether it's alcohol it's a beer on the way home if it's uh light you up a little something so so we are going to pretend that these people because they have a badge and they took this oath that we've watched numerous times have been broken, that they're just perfectly on these uh, 12-hour, 14-hour shifts, 365. No one is sitting there dibbling and dabbling on a quick 30, uh, 40-hour lunch break, drinking a beer, puffing a joint, especially the fact that the shit is legalized, popping a pill, using some steroids. I just don't believe that. Yeah, and and to to take that in, because there's some people who who don't, who are like, no, never, no, never. There is a correlation between how much trauma that the human brain deals with, how consistently, and what that does long-term effects. And how do they cope with that? Yeah, it's not coincidence that there is a high, high domestic violence rate amongst law enforcement and correctional officers. Say that one more time. There is a very high rate of domestic violence amongst law enforcement, police officers, and correctional officers. You are around 
people who are not at their best. <laughs> I'm saying, like, cause, and I think that's something to really take it, because I'm not saying that every person that a police officer deals with is a bad person, but typically if the police are being called, they're not on their best behavior. So the version of the person that that cop deals with, that guy may have been on the straight and narrow, not had an incident in the last five years, but you caught him on this day when he's on his worst, that's why the police were called on him. So the police are dealing with people on their worst day all day. Yeah. So constant, this guy he got a call because, and a lot of their calls are domestic. And so this guy didn't smack this girl around. This baby was found floating in a pool. This kid was hit by a car. <laughs> These people are, are running from me because I'm trying to bust. You deal with that. This all day. person has a needle. All this stuff in, in their arm. All this stuff all day long. You know, and so they even on on the not violent calls. Police are called because this old lady was non-responsive. Like, I mean, trauma doesn't just come in the form of a violence. We're violence. not talking about police are getting called for just getting the, the cat out of the tree. Yeah. So I'm saying there's so when you deal with that <laughs> all day, like every day there's something. You, then it, you get to a point to where that weighs on you. Every other job, they'll, they'll sit there and tell you, you know, they'll, they'll put you on timeout for stuff. You know, you, you they'll, they'll tell you. You know, no cop wants that on their jacket that mm-hmm. they that they the psyche valve that told that put them on timeout. Yes. They'll sit there and say, Man, don't do that to me. Yes. That's gonna affect my promotions. Yes. That's gonna affect my career goals. I can't be labeled as unstable. Mm-hmm. I can't be la that's that's career suicide. You're 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 crippling me by putting me <laughs> on that uh, psychiatrist chair. And then you have to also know the amount of police officers, law enforcement that actually go to reach drug rehabs yeah like the numbers are astounding you know and in a sense of when my man's uh, wife went to rehab she met five police officers in her stint yeah you know what i mean these are the things that uh, um they don't talk about they don't articulate they don't they don't want to bring that sense of insecurity to the people because the idea and the reality is they want folks to believe that you are safe with police and the reality is we're not um the one thing that we have to understand they are human right yeah so um eventually all humans do what they break (laughs) you know what i mean doesn't matter what career doesn't matter how much money you have we've watched it um you know just recently, what the young kid Mac Miller, uh, this kid, what twenty seven or twenty six, twenty eight, twenty six year old, right? Yeah. Um, has the world in his hands from what you think, especially a white rapper and be successful, um, close to what Eminem was. He, was, was, uh, he, was, he wasn't one of those. He's a pretty decent kid. I mean, I'm not really into his music, but you know, yeah, whatever. Has a drug overdose. Yeah. Right. So even with that much uh, uh, fanfare and money. And access, right, and power in a reality, you, you're still going to something that ventures you out to somewhere else to numb you down, to get you away from what you and I would look at as the life. Like, yeah. you know, you got access to pretty women, to to expensive cars, um, this fanfare that people would die for. Yeah. So we're basically saying that these police offers that have none of that, if anything, they're getting more ridicule getting more scrutinized and how people feel about them overall is it is 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 very uh i would say it it would screw up my psychological uh 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 psyche right Um, you know, psychological psyche. I know. <laughs> you, I know <laughs> yo, I'm following. Yo, you. Okay, I'm following. you following me? I hope the other people will follow me. But it would 
fuck with me mentally if I had to deal with the disrespect, whether it's social media, um, whether it's on the streets, the knowing that, yes, I'm powerful because I can move in here and I'm a police officer and I can pretty much get away with murder in yeah. reality. But how it weighs on you if I'm a good police officer and a police officer is trying to do the right thing, that's just trying to, you know, work his community and get his pension and, and get out unscathed, that the world is looking at you as you're a slave catcher, you're a part of the oppressive system, that you are not good for my community. Yeah. The amount of pressure and on top of that, all of the um, propaganda all of the police politics that they have to deal with. Yeah. I'm trying to be a sergeant, detective. Because yeah. you got to remember, they're trying to move up the rankings. Everyone doesn't want to stay there and be just a, a random, regular police officer. Yeah. That's not everybody's goal in mind. People are looking at politically how they want to kind of move up the rankings. Yeah. So all these things play in to the psyche of these police officers. And we want to really pretend that there's no measurable to make them Kind of, uh, I'm going to do some coke today. Uh, I'm going to pop a pill today. And then uh, also, this shifting it a little bit, because I think cause sometimes when you say police officers, people jump to one side of the fence or the other about how they their feelings about law enforcement. But there, when you deal with trauma, when you deal, especially when you just deal with people, there's a desensitization. desensitization. Okay, good. I'm happy you had a little... That happens. Yes. So oh, this, I, what, this is what happens I'm when the you, words all the time. I mean, but this is what happens when you take a hiatus. Yeah. Away, you, know? you get desensitized to things at times. You get, um, and after a while, when you're dealing with people, sometimes it's about getting the job done. So when I was younger, I've had a bunch of jobs. I'll tell you that all the time. When I was younger, I used to be, uh, I used to a waiter and a busser in a senior living center. What was your favorite hall. job? Um, actually. Different reasons. I wouldn't at this point. I wouldn't call it a favorite one. Oh, that one I got just a lot totally from. The subject. You know, just yeah, I got a lot of good stuff from it because I was around a bunch of older people, okay. and I was like 18, 19, and I learned a lot about from 80 year olds who were telling me about life. They helped me a lot. But one thing that in that senior living place, there were a lot of uh, nurses, mm. and so they were dealing with with you know older people who had injuries and stuff, whatever. And when you see old people, you think kind of fragile, kind of frail. Yep. But you would see some of these nurses would be kind of rough with them mm. because they need to get them cleaned up so they can get bed sores mm. or they need to get them semi-restrained so they can get their medication. They need You think that lady's like 70. You should be gingerly with her and, and real sensitive with her. But these nurses were like, I need her moved. She needs her medication. Yeah. She needs her bath. She's going to fight me on this. She doesn't want it. So after a while, when these nurses were dealing with these old people for a long time, they had got desensitized to the level of force they used with them. I wouldn't go as far as to say that it was elderly abuse, but I would say they was rougher with these older people than I was comfortable with. Mm. And because every single day they were dealing with these older people who were fighting and some of them had dementia. Some of them had, you know, issues that all of a sudden don't remember who they were and why are you touching me? But they still had a job to do. That's what nurses dealing with elderly people. You think that same thing carries over into law enforcement who are dealing with people on the street? Mm. After a while, sometimes it's get the job done. I need you to move. Yeah. I need you to do what I'm telling you to do. Yeah. And that may not be the level of force that is specifically necessary for that time. Mm. But after a while, you get into a mindset of I'm sick of people resisting me. Hmm. I'm sick of people fighting me on stuff. I just need you to do this. Yes. I just need you to listen. And there are some people who have a little more room in the cup to take that deep breath and to pause. 
And just like some of them nurses, there are some folks who their gear shifts to getting a little rougher than necessary. So there, if you take that and factor in maybe a little substance in you, maybe you just run a little hotter than normal. Like we don't incorporate the humanity into the job. Mm. We say that you're a police officer. That's what you are. No, that's what you do. Mm. Who you are may be somebody with a temper who's high strung, who's got very little patience, who maybe likes to drink a little. Yes. That's a human being. Yes. And I think that when we keep taking away the humanity from the profession, when we keep telling somebody that you are with your job, I've known doctors who... Drug habits, gambling, yeah. all this sort of stuff. But they're a great doctor. But you're telling me a great doctor. That doesn't make you a great guy. Mm. You may be a, a, a phenomenal surgeon, but you beat your wife and kids. You're not a good person. Yes. One's a job. The other one is who you are. And I think that we need to start really incorporating the humanity into the profession, just like they use the humanity against the suspect. Yes. Because when you get arrested for something, all this stuff that we're talking about gets catered into. He was under a lot of stress. Yeah. He was he just lost his job. All yeah. these factors into his motive for why he did the things he did. Why don't we put that same degree uh, of, of the litmus test to the officer's motive? And it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. How many hours a week did he work this week? Yeah, exactly. And, and you're, you're creating and criminalizing the victims before you're creating that criminal in the police officer that created that act right let's do do the profile how many hours did you work this week how many of these cases has he seen how many issues does does he does this officer come from a family of domestic violence so he may be a little more sensitive to the guy he's got to deal with who just smacked his wife around you know this dude may have lost his mom to a drunk driver Mm -hmm. so now all of a sudden when he pulls you over for that dui he may be feeling a certain kind of way You know, all these things factor into to how, you know, law enforcement, they're human beings and they're dealing with human beings. And I think that when we re- remove their humanity and only put the onus on the civilian, you've got a system against the person and you're going to get nothing but resistance. And I think that's done on purpose. I mean, you know, for her to believe and think I could make such a made up story, such a Disneyland Sign fix sign fix it scientific. Oh, I'm screwed <laughs> it's up. Been a minute. <laughs> Sci-fi. Okay. Uh, story. Right. That I'm gonna probably get away with murder. To me, it speaks upon the culture. It identifies what a lot of us have been saying about um, policing in America. The unbalance that it has. The the um. The in between the lines, the theories that it creates for those of us on one side and for those on the other side, it either creates this anger from people like myself, uh, civilians that look at it like they get away with everyone. It creates that sense of invincibility with these police. We can lie about anything. We could do anything and get away with it. Um, it just to me has to be a place where we find a um a better way to get better results. This is not the right way. Uh, this 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 man is now uh, in the Johnny public is being sought out as maybe being a person that carried his own death, right? Because yeah. he didn't uh, li- the, listen to directions. Uh, well, he was a marijuana smoker, and we know how 
um, media place. Yeah. We know how media likes to uh, depict things, how it wants to kind of side more to 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 the wider side of things and create these these narratives where we're not even focused on uh, the criminal behavior of the the police, but we're actually focused on who are the people that they actually slayed, who are the people that they actually assassinated. We watched it with Mike Brown, where they try to create this criminal element of Mike Brown from his childhood to the point where they had videos who they said it was him and really wasn't him. He was stealing before. And the funny thing about it, we're more entertained by the falsehood of the story than the truth of the story. So as soon as now people are hearing these narratives go out that he's a marijuana guy, who cares? I mean, people, all people smoke marijuana. You're going to think, oh, well, shit, there it he is. was a big guy. He was a bad guy. He was smoking marijuana compared to this. Like, well, no, 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 no. Why the hell did she try to get into someone's house that wasn't hers. This woman killed this man for a particular reason. She would, in my case, would have been better to say I was attacked and he tried to rape me. I mean, I mean to be honest with yeah. you, like she would be better saying that than coming up with this make-believe story that just, I, I, like, I don't even know if she talked to other officers and they probably told her, hey, will you say this? Because she had to be in a moment in a state of shock and she had to be so angry or so frustrated that whatever led up to this yeah. had to be the, 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 the camel that broke the back of this shit and just said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pull my gun and I'm done with him disrespecting me. She would have been better saying that part of I've been attacked, I've been abused by this man Something. than saying, oh, I thought I was in the wrong apartment. Yeah, and you can see where the, the 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 lack of trust that goes into dealing with law enforcement when you see the scenario that, you know, state troopers were sent to bring her in and then were waved off by her department. And then you get, well, was her, her house searched? No, we, we, we didn't search that. Uh, so then the law enforcement that deals hand in hand with the district attorney's office, we're going to put you up for manslaughter. Because we're not gonna, we're gonna get, go for manslaughter first. If we can get that on the books, that's what we're gonna go for. And if you can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that they had a pre-existing relationship or something along that lines, then we're gonna charge that to the game. Manslaughter is your fault. Mm. For for those who may not know, what's the difference between murder and manslaughter or something? Murder is intent. Yeah. Murder is I was coming for you. And then they do the difference between first, second, third, as in was it premeditated? Was it something that happened in the moment? Or, or, or you know, was it something you conspired and got folks involved, all that sort of stuff? Manslaughter, you can get manslaughter for a DUI. Like if you got drunk and hit and killed somebody, you can get vehicular manslaughter, meaning you didn't intend to kill somebody, but somebody is dead because of your, your negligence. Yeah. What that usually means is, is that you'll get 20 off top for the sentence, reduced to 10, time served along with the trial. You can get that thing good behavior. That knocked down to about seven, eight years, mm. depending upon your state. You can, you, can, you can be home and in a new career and a new life and somebody no longer lives anymore. And so when you've got a, a department that rallies behind their own. Yes. She's one of theirs. Sent the, waved the state troopers off, said she's complying. Y'all ain't necessary. Uh, we go. We didn't even investigate her house. I'd be interested to see if she was tested when they got her to the station. I highly doubt that she was. At all. Uh, and then you're going to now start the public crucifixion of this man about what type of guy he was. And he was coming back exemplary. 
Like he was coming back squeaky clean. Then they dropped the, oh, there was a little marijuana found in the apartment. These types of things are what leads folks to not trust the police. Not at all. And leads all these question marks that would, well, when law enforcement says this is the story, yeah, but I need more. I can't take you at face value. Too many questionable situations like this. Too, too, too many too many holes, too many red herrings, too too many things that just I, I can't I, I can't I don't believe you. You need more people. Her picture of her uh, her mugshot. I looked at her and she looks like she fucked up. She okay. looks like I fucked up. <laughs> she <laughs> looks like I should have came with a better story. It just is going to be very interesting in the next few weeks. What unravels. Yeah. Right. It's going to be even more interesting on how this Dallas police, uh, uh, um, you know, community covers this woman who, in reality, has given them so much, so much negative press and so little to work with because of the story that she's given. Yeah. I would love to see. This is going to be a very crucial moment in time. And remember, Dallas. Had, is is into uh, um, you know what I'm saying unfamiliar right with with police shootings and, and things of that they're nature. The, they're the drone folks, right? Yeah, yeah. They're the, the 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 ones that had the shooter that they kept trying to say was the civilian, but he was extreme, a black shooter. Yeah, a black shooter who was extremely what was it, what, accurate. Was it black or white? I think he was. I, I think, believe he was black. I Don't was, hold me to that. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, my issue wasn't his race. Because I think I think I seen his the the. I remember just seeing. A uh, interview of his parents, but I don't want. I think somebody on the street was saying he was a black. Somebody uh, was saying they saw. But my issue is, is let's remove the the, the racial component for that. It was somebody. Oh, but it's always no, 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 about race. No, no, no. no but but here, for for what was important to me is that so you had somebody who was a suspect in shooting of law enforcement, and them the ones who sent the drone in and blew up the building. Like that to me was. Whatever this person was on, whatever this person, how often do you, when do you, when do you send a drone to blow up the building for a shooting suspect? Mm. Like, this is somebody you need to make sure don't walk away. Like, this is somebody who, who you need to make sure there's no story to be told. There's no, you know, that's why that, like, that, that whole situation seemed extra fishy to me. I was like, you, it would be one thing if you said a SWAT just went in and opened fire. Yeah. You know, that that you can sit there and say, OK, he was he was a suspect who was already shot somebody. So, you know, we had to treat him accordingly. But when you blow the building up mm. like that to me is that's on some uh, Chris Dorner stuff. Yeah. Uh, brother from Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, they burnt it up, baby. Uh, brother from Los Angeles who had all the intel on the LAPD and all the crooked dealings and all that wrote the manifesto and then turned passenger 57. And he was on the run. They said he was in Mexico, found out he was in, in the woods and then uh, they said that they found his ID in Mexico, yeah. but identified the body by the same ID that was in his pocket when his whole body was torched when they torched the cabin that they found him in. Yep. Like when you just keep finding all these question marks surrounding situations, it just makes it very hard for John Q. Public to just trust. And then when you incorporate the racial component into it, you have a tendency to do this mm-hmm. with, with, with people of a certain complexion. Yep. Like that's where this stuff seems to keep coming up. Always. It makes it even harder to, to take face value of whatever the situation was, you know, especially when across the nation, you've got people who are, you know, why was he shot? He was shot because he was a suspected 
criminal. Yeah. He was shot because we we thought he had a gun. Meanwhile, you take these people into custody unharmed who you know killed somebody yeah. who you know have a gun. Mm -hmm. When these things keep happening throughout the nation, like I said, it just makes it real difficult to just trust and just to go off the word of what the, what the cop says. I just can't trust none of this stuff at all. I think that it's um, it's frustrating because you just try to hope that they see the line of, of, of what's going on nationally in every city, state in America with policing that someone would do the right thing. Uh, yes, Texas did have a 15-year um, sentence for one of the police officers that shot at uh, the young kid's car and yeah. struck one of the kids. But 15 years to me after for murder? Of a 15-year-old? Fifteen years? Nah, that should have nah. been that should have been life. That that kid was a teenager. The one leaving the, the house yes, party, whatever. Been life. Oh yeah, that was the kid for anybody to remember. That was the kid. He wasn't even involved in anything. No. He said, Let's go home because <laughs> this party looks like it might yes. go south. And they got in the car to leave and as he backed up to to then drive away. He was he was driving away. Yes, driving not away. backing up at the officer. He was driving away. The cop opened fire into the back of yep. the car, and saying that the, he tried to run me exactly. over. More lies. And and then the videotape showed that the car was driving away, away from yeah. him. More lies. I mean, I'm, you, just get, I'm just getting people yeah, caught exactly. up. But I'm just saying, we, we, yeah. look at what we're talking about, right? Yeah. <laughs> just more lies, more lies. When do they ever tell the truth? No. And 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 when you talk about the humanity side of it all. That's the thing that we're connecting to for us to really truly believe that they have a robotic kind of mentality exactly. to allow everything that they deal with personally, professionally, um, in and out of the streets that they can maintain professionalism to such a degree that nothing bothers them, nothing affects them, nothing wavers their judgment. Right. Exactly. And, and, and we continue to see stories like this. On an account of, of, of places throughout America, throughout history, it's just now getting more detailed and being more uh, seen because of uh, social media and because now um, the media is forced to kind of tell a, st a story, whether it's the right narrative or the wrong, but they're forced to tell a story because if they don't tell a story, people will tell it for them. When you see this happening, this infusion of power plus humanity, and it's emboiled to where it blows up, that we're going to say, ah, oh, yeah, the police officer, there's no way they could have did it. Because, again, like I said earlier, they have an oath to kind of protect and serve. Yeah. Who they're protecting are themselves and that badge. Yeah. Bottom line. Yeah. It, it's, you've got human beings who take a profession. And, and, and please understand. I think when a lot of these officers go into their profession with the best of intentions, I think that there's a lot of them who who. I, 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 I disagree. But, I disagree. I think I think and, and, I, and I, just real quick, I just want to believe that I think that it's gotten so um, jaded on where police's attitudes are that a lot of these folks. Have come and come from places where they've never been in authority, they've never been in power, to now being in power. That that goes in their head when they're sitting there signing these oaths to not the people, but to this badge, this collection of brothers and sisters, this brotherhood and sisterhood, where it's us against the world. I think the attitudes for me is not about great policing. It's just about how do we keep the structure of white supremacy, and it doesn't matter if you're black 
or white to me is still a service of it where they're going to keep to the bottom line and the bottom line is protecting the system. Okay. That's just me. Well, I get that. And, and I respect that. What I'm referring to is when I say go into the best of intentions, because we have to be clear, too, when we address law enforcement. Law enforcement is everything from uh, they used to call them meter maids, parking, parking lot attendants to to a courthouse sheriffs to those who watch monitors at the jail to the people who are on the streets to the people who are pushing paperwork to the people who are cleaning guns in the storage locker like i'm saying so i'm saying i have a few tickets that i want to dispute that these motherfuckers just yeah. probably did it because they wanted to do it so, I'm saying, so when i take in the bulk all right i take in the, in the the bulk of law enforcement just from maybe my own personal reference and the people i've dealt with and some of the folks i've known i think most of them are average human beings and what I mean by an average human being is, is that you're not Superman where you're trying to take a bullet for anybody on the street any more than you Lex Luthor trying to take over the world. I think most of them, it's a job. And they go at it with the intent of how can I keep the lights on? How can I do something that I seem like I'm okay at? I'm going to try to be the best at my job and I'm going to go to work every day. I think that's the bulk of them. You'll find a percentage, I think, who got a point to prove. You know, who are out there trying trying to impose their will to try to do some other stuff. And then you've got a percentage of them who are Barney Fife who just don't want the don't want the heat. There's a bunch of police officers who who stay away from issues. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that they're the last ones to get called. You want me back yet? No, nah, I'm good. Like I think that I think they're human beings. I think that there's 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 that group. But I think that we have to address them as human beings. I think because that's huge. I think when you get those people who get this job and you sit there and say, because you have this profession and you made this oath, that this somehow washes and removes you like a baptism of who you used to be to who you are from now on. Mm. And I think that's just the problem. I respect the fact that you may be willing to die for somebody in the name of your job, but I still respect the fact that you are a human being first. And I know you get irritated. Mm. I know you get tired of stuff. I know you got kids at home that you don't get to see and probably don't look at you the best when you get there. I know you got wives and husbands that never see you. I know the, the infidelity rate of law enforcement is very high. I know that there's a whole lot of human nature that comes out through your profession. And so I just think as a society, if we could be real about that. Yeah, I don't like, think we want to be real. But about I'm saying, that, if though. we could be real about that and say you are a human being first. No. And when we deal with with these issues and situations of saying, take them on a case by case basis, like they say they do suspects, look at the motive that when you get involved and you get arrested for something, they look at your what you was doing way before the date happened. Mm. Man, that husband killed his wife. What happened leading up to that? So and so was who who was he hanging out with before that? Who was he seen talking to two weeks ago? They build a case against you. And I think that that same due diligence needs to be done when it comes to officer involved shootings and not saying that we don't want all that paperwork or we don't want our officers off the street because they're dealing with red tape and all that sort of stuff. We need the bodies on the street and we just need to start sweeping some stuff under under the rug, just like the nurse who puts the old lady in in the arm bar because we just need to get the job done. Yeah. I mean, I just think that in the reality of everything that we see, we're constantly reminded that um, as much as we want to put humanity in policing, that they create themselves as inhuman. (laughs) So, you know, here we are again. Right. Here we are with something that ticks in their mind, something that ticked in her mind that believed that she could go ahead and kill someone without having any consequences with really taking the whole, um, you know, community 
of Dallas, not only the community of Dallas, but the onlookers out here in, in Sacramento, um, San Francisco, New York, watching uh, um, this situation play out, who has been dealing, St. Louis, who've been dealing with police brutality, police terror, all in a whole, to kind of make us go on this journey when she truly knows that she was in the wrong. Yeah. She truly knows. When I looked at her mugshot, I was like, this girl knows she fucked up. And that's the unfortunate thing about how this thing rolls, how this thing plays out. It plays out in more of us reaching, protesting, marching, and reaching for answers. Uh, uh, definitive answers to questions that we'll never, ever get answers for. Yeah. Because why they do what they want and how they do what they do is because they can't. Because they're protected. You go into the police bill of rights, you look at it on or off duty, it always seems like... Um, the law plays in their hand. So once you know that, yeah. and once you know there's not going to be harsh penalties for whatever you do, like I say, you kill somebody, you get 15 years. Manslaughter. Like, seriously? Like, oh, 15 years? You and I do something that we're going to see the death penalty, right? Yeah. Suge Knight uh, 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 ran over somebody. He, and, just you know, got, he just got damn near 30. And, you know, and of course, we got to know really in a, in a sense of where they're actually going to hit him with? He got 28 years, but we, he could be he could maybe do he's, 15, he's 12, he's but, do 12, but he's going to do yeah, some time. Yeah. And a sense of it, you know, we, we're, we're looking at um, how you look at a guy like Suge Knight, and you look at um, a police officer that guy got 15. Uh, if I'm sure, the police officer still is going to get parole, right? He ain't going to do a real 15. He's not going to do a real 15. Yeah. So when you look at how law is and how the rules are for us civilians and how it is with law enforcement, it frustrates you. It, it, it triggers you. It, it makes you want to not respect their badge. It makes you not want to respect um, who they are, even though they are different people outside of that badge. They don't act like it. This is one of these stories that when you read it, you're so baffled by the bizarreness of it all and the frustration of, damn, this lady is really trying to sink in with a real motive, right? This real cover up when she damn well knows she killed this man for a specific reason that only she knows about. And the, the issue that we have to make sure as a society that we don't fall into is a conviction is a conviction. Because if you remember, this goes back to the Oscar Grant situation where the, uh, the the BART officer had him handcuffed and then shot him. He did 18 months mm. with a conviction. So even though you can get that manslaughter charge, you can get the you can get the conviction. That doesn't turn into the rest of your life is ruined. That doesn't turn into you'll never work again. That mm. doesn't turn into you'll never exist. You, you be back at work. Like the dude, most people now wouldn't know the guy who shot Oscar Grant if he if he was bagging groceries at Safeway. True. You know what I'm saying? Like he he could be out there just living whatever life he wants to live. He did he did 18 months. Crazy. You, you know what I mean? And so for these officers, you get 15 years. You took the life of like you see, you got 15 years for taking the life of a 15 year old. <laughs> who did, and, and you'll be home in eight, mm. and he'll never be home again. 
You know, and, and when we have to start looking at these situations and looking at the, the police bill of rights where that is the actual true on the law, on the letter, what they say about civilians, where you are innocent until proven guilty on the police bill of rights, <laughs> that every shooting is clean until proven to be dirty. Wow. It's like a call in the NFL. The ruling on the field stands. You have to have irrefutable evidence to uh, to uh, change the ruling on the field. So for an officer to be found that that clip, that that uh, uh, shot was dirty. Or that, that that killing was unjust, you have to prove his motive. You have to prove the situation. The burden is on you to prove he was wrong. Whereas on the street, uh, they'll tell you that, but you better have a damn ironclad alibi to put you in another state if you ain't trying to do some time. Mm. But I think these are just things that we need to address and highlight and look at. And it is not to stand on the stage saying that, you know, to address or critique the way things are being done doesn't mean we want it thrown out. There will be people who sit there and say that, oh, if you got an issue with law enforcement, then we should just get rid of the police altogether and y'all police yourselves. No. Yeah. If, if I eat at a restaurant and I say that my waitress was rude, that doesn't mean close the restaurant down. <laughs> if I go to a hospital and say that the nurse was messing up the paperwork, that doesn't mean shut the hospital down. Well, I think that with all these things going on with the police, you got to shut it down, break it down. Well, I'm saying get rid of it like there's no hospital anymore. There's no restaurant anymore. So to critique the behaviors of a police officer, it doesn't mean that there's no place for law enforcement in the society. It means things need to be tightened up and things need to be done differently. I don't need you to close the restaurant because you got a rude waitress. Either address the way that you deal with waitresses or get a new waitress. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like I, you can still keep Denny's open. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Do, you just mean the personnel change. Yeah. You know, somebody still needs pancakes. But the fact is, is that I think that when we address these things, that we look at them, and then we do our due diligence on our side. When it gets involved in who you vote in is sheriff. And when it gets involved with, you know, who's the district attorney in your, your region. Yeah. When it gets involved with, you know, getting together with your community and, and pooling resources and, and pooling relationships to actually have some leverage to get things done where you're at. You can't just have a complaining voice. You actually have to have some leverage, some skin in the game where you can actually weigh on some folks Definitely and make them move game. some people's hands and move the needle for what you want change to be. Your voice is the very beginning. It is necessary that we say something, but we also have to have to do something. Say something, say something, say something. Back from a hiatus. Back like we never left. Episode 64. Where can folks find you online for more riveting conversation like this, Mr. Axius? Barry Axius on Facebook, on Twitter, Barry Axius, and IG at Team Void. Make sure you check out Black Blueprints with a Z.com. I'm Jermaine Morris on Facebook. Every other social media platform is at J Morris CEO. This has been the Say Something Podcast. And we are about to be back at you real soon. And until next show, we will holler at you later. Yes, sir.